Blog Talk Radio. Morning, animal people, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I've got very good news for you. I know waking up at 7:30 in the morning just so you could tune into the Pet Place is a little tough. So, starting next week, you'll get to have a couple extra hours of sleep. That's right. Beginning April 10th, that's next Sunday, the Pet Place is moving to 9:30 a.m. Woohoo! I know I'm going to enjoy sleeping in. But since you're already up today, I've got a great show in store for you. To get things started on this beautiful morning, we're going to talk about sunscreen for horses. We'll be speaking with Rebecca Lewis, who has some invaluable information about protecting horses and all animals from the sun. Then later in the show, Dr. Bill Miller, a veterinary ophthalmologist, will be stopping by to talk about pet vision and a remarkable project that he's participating in. This and more are coming right up just on the other side of a quick station message. So stay right here, tuned to AM 1260. Again, you're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewa, and I'm very happy to welcome to the show Rebecca Lewis. Hi, Rebecca. I'm so glad you could be on the show today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, it's that time of year again when we start paying attention to the sun, and I know you have a take on this that we really haven't discussed before on Pet Place, so let's talk sunscreen for horses. Okay. I'd love to. Okay. Do we have to put sunscreen on horses for starters? Well, it's actually a sunblock, and, of course, you don't have to do anything, but it is very, very, very important to keep their skin uh, from getting sunburned. And um, so I came up with this product line, and it's fabulous. And one of them has uh, centronella cinnamon, which keeps the bugs off, as well as the sun. Oh. Mm -hmm. Have you seen horses develop problems that relate to too much sun? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that for I us? I can, okay. um, especially the white horses. They get um, melanoma, all the kinds of cancer that people get on this on their skin. They get as well. Oh. So it's real important to keep the for sure the white horses, but also too on their lips, around their eyes, um, the delicate areas on their ears. Uh, their lips can turn just bright red and peel, and it's painful for them. Oh, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Wow. How many people do you think recognize the fact that this is an issue for their horses? Well, I think it only takes one time when you see the horse with, and their their skin, bless their little hearts, but their little lips turn bright red, uh-huh. and you can tell, and they wrinkle them up. You can tell they're in pain. Oh, mm-hmm. so this was designed specifically for them in uh, scented uh, lotions that they like. One's grass scented. <laughs> The grass one's cool. I love the grass one. So, so do you notice the horses kissing each other a lot after you apply this? <laughs> no, um, but they are very happy, though, that they do not have the problem of their little lips. Get over it. Especially, too, because the bridle and the bit goes right over that sensitive area. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And how big of a problem do you think it is as far as melanoma goes? Do you have any statistics on that? Are we seeing... I know that we're seeing more skin cancer in humans and dogs and cats. Are we seeing more skin cancer in horses? 
I wouldn't say more, but I think it's out there. And once they get those lesions on their body as well as on their, not so much on their face, but definitely on areas where the girth has gone, it's just tragic. They ooze, they bleed. Then you uh, have to be very careful where you put the girth on them. Uh, on their face, it's a different. Uh, the texture is different on their skin, so they will get a little blistery, but okay. definitely will get um, harmful moles from skin, just like people do. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do the horses react to having this product applied? They love it. They love the smell. They love to be touched. They it's it's healthy for them. Um, and then you, and then as well as the horse, you get it on your hands, so that's good. So that protects our skin. <laughs> And tell me a little bit about the product itself. Is it uh, like a liquid? Is it a lotion? How how is it applied? Give us all the details. Okay, it's um, they come in twelve ounce bottles, and they are it's a lotion. And we found that um, the lotion goes on and absorbs quicker, and is smoother. Um, and so they don't even if they lift it with their tongue, it would be okay. Whereas the I thought about a serum and a gel. Because um, I actually like that texture and a lot of, you know, face moisturizers. It's their under-eye creams for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't absorb as fast, especially because they have hair. They right. still have some, you know, uh, whiskers and hair around that area, so it's um, the lotion absorbs quicker. Okay. Do you find that when they eat, though, that they get a lot of food stuck on their face after having the product applied, or is this a non-issue? I'm glad you asked that because <laughs> it's fastly absorbed. Okay. It goes right in, and, and the citronella one is, you know, obviously for the, uh, it's like bugs be gone, so they, um, that one too absorbs very quickly. So even if they start eating right afterwards, it just, it goes right in their skin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what are these products called? What's the brand? It's Lewis Circle of Horses, and you can order them online, www.lewiscircle.com, and they're Sunblock for Horses is what it's called. Okay. Plain Sunblock for Horses. Tell us a little bit about how this all started. <laughs> oh, I have the most darling horse. She's dark, she's dark bay, which is brown, but on her face it's completely white, oh. white strip all the way down to her lips. And we were at a horse show for two weeks, and her little face was it bright pink like a bunny rabbit. It was painful for her. Oh. So I started looking around. I got some kids lotion. Um, I've got I got some unscented kind, and I started just researching and thought, this is why isn't there products out there that's specifically designed for animals, especially for horses? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to focus on the horses first, although this can be used on like dogs and children and people, um, but it's mainly for them. Um, and I uh, I went and I talked to an inventor for a while and said, what do you think? And we went through the process of uh, the ingredients. Um, the market, what other products are out there, and how can our be better manufactured in the United States as well as, um, you know, easy to reach for the public. Okay. And as you tested the product, what kind of feedback did you get from other horse owners? I thought you were going to say the horses. <laughs> and from the horses, Mr. Ed, yeah. <laughs> um, actually, really good. People were like, wow, that's a great idea. I never thought about that. And so the product, is, it's been nice because... Um, they pretty much sell themselves because once they try them, they're like, first off, the smell is incredible, the mm-hmm. texture is great, and it's, you know, to pay $12 for one bottle, it's a lot cheaper than any kind of cancerous treatment, and it presents, you know, pre- prevents them from getting sunburn. And, and are people really noticing a big difference before and after use? Yes. Okay, so if, if they've seen that their horse is prone to getting sunburn, 
once they use this product, they say, wow, this is totally preventing it. it is, as long as they keep reapplying it. And, you know, most, especially horse owners and the handlers and the grooms, they're constantly, especially the show horses, they are constantly grooming them and washing them and putting lotions on their feet and all over. So they're, they're, it's just a staple in the groom's box. Okay. It's in, you know, the, at the show office and, you know, available, to, you know, in your bag or whatever just to put on them so it's nice. How often do you need to reapply for somebody who has just their own horse in their their own property and, and they just want to make sure their horse is comfortable, especially during these sunny months that we're getting into? Usually just once a day if they're grazing. Um, if, they, if they're the kind of horse that plays a lot in the water bucket or in the hose, I would say apply more, but usually just once a day is fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. You sound like you have a, a genuine love for horses. What's your story there? How long have you been involved with horses? My mother rode when she was pregnant with me. Oh. And so, and I'm Sagittarius, so I think that's part of it. Okay. Because she rode with my two sisters, and they were like, get that smelly thing away from me. They're expensive. You know, they're big. Or another one's actually scared of them. Oh, no. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And I just, I absolutely love them. My best friends are horses, and, you know, it's just my passion. And um can't imagine life without horses. Okay. Now, I understand you're familiar with a horse matchmaking service to find equine companions for humans. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I can. Um, Basically, um, what we try to do is import-export horses from all over the world, and we have um, brokers that are uh, all over. And what we do is we go to auctions, we go to uh, different brokers, breeding programs, um, all ages, and try to hook up people with with the correct match. And are you involved in any of the rescues at all? A little bit of rescue. Um, we I work with Brook Hospital out of London, and that's more um, to help like third third country and third world um, with with the injured animals or the ones that are overworked. Okay. And then I donate money to um, to the different organizations. Oh, so so then Lewis Circle is involved in some philanthropy then? Oh, absolutely. That's outstanding. I always like to hear how companies try and give back to the animals that really need it. And do you have any special future plans coming up for Lewis Circle? Yes, I do. Um, I'm thinking the next um, product we're working on is uh, almost like a large chapstick for the horses that'll be basically the size of like a cell phone. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then the next flavor, I'm still working on it, it's uh, cake batter. Cake batter, uh-huh. and and what made you decide that this is a good flavor for horses? Well, I think it'd be really fun for um, for people to buy as presents or give to other people for their horses' birthdays, or uh, <laughs> and the smell is really good because they love sugar, and you know the texture of it. I'm going to make it a little yellower, okay. so it like looks like cake batter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, and then just keep on keep on, you know, same kind of thing. Rescue some more horses and match people up and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my plan. <laughs> How do you think most horses react the first time to having chapstick applied to their lips? Is this really foreign? Do they throw their head back or mm-hmm. do they say, hmm, this is kind of nice? <laughs> it's still in the work, so it's actually it's actually kind of fun to play with them, like to see which ones they like or don't like or the, is it too thick or what. So that's, the, that's in the future. I haven't really I haven't gotten that part down yet, but I think it would be cool. That's my idea. You have a website. I think you mentioned it earlier. Can you tell everybody again what your website is? Yes. It's www.lewiscircle.com. And do you have photographs and some testimonials on your website? I do. 
Oh. And we have PayPal on there, and there's all the the labels too are are just they're adorable. That's I think that's part of another reason why I love them. We spend a lot of time, you know, designing the products as well as the labels and being very clear with what's in the products. And um, like I said, it's made in the United States, which I think is awesome. And I'm real excited about it. That's fantastic. You know, there's a lot of people that are getting involved with horses out in the Southern California area. There's always a new graph, a new batch of people who are thinking that they want to do that. And and one of the things that's gaining popularity, especially in the uh, Orange County, Southern California area, is show jumping. Do you have any uh, expertise or experience in this at all? I do. That's what actually we do is we show jump. Oh, and and can you talk a little bit about that? What's involved? Absolutely. Um, I do meter 10, which is about 3 foot 3 to 3 foot 6, 3 foot 7 at the most. And uh, my trainer trains the horses and gets them ready for me, and then we show all over the world. And what he does is he uh, jumps big stuff, so Grand Prix style, which is uh, like 5 feet, 5 foot 3, um, internationally in Canada and in Europe, and then it shows uh, locally in Southern California and in Arizona as well. Um, and it's just it's just wonderful. And usually it's different course designer, and there's uh, grass fields, and there's also dirt fields. There's indoor fields, um, and they, there's usually about 12 jumps, and you go in there summertime, some aren't. And uh, you go in there, and we just have a great time. Do the horses enjoy it? Are they fearful? Is it something that they seem like they want to do? Yes. It gives me goosebumps when the, for our horses and the ones that we train and have do the job. If they ever tell us that they don't want to do it, then we either check for injury, check for uh, illness, something, or shoe problem, bit problem, something's not right. Okay, but for the most part, it's like, woohoo, I get to do the course. They love it. They puff up. They, 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 they act so different in the ring. Even at, from the warm-up, they get in there. They're warriors. Wow. And they're, you know, they're well-trained, well-schooled, and um, they love it. Rebecca, this was really fun information, and I want to thank you for spending some time with us today on the Pet Place and talking about sunscreen and all the fun horse facts. Thank you for having me. It is time now for our halftime break, but waiting in the wings is Dr. Bill Miller, who has some eye-opening information on pet vision and a really cool project he's involved with. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back on AM 1260 with more of the Pet Place Radio Show. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt, and joining us now is veterinary ophthalmologist Dr. Bill Miller. Hi, Dr. Miller. So glad you can chat with us today on Pet Place. You bet, Marie. Looking forward to it. I've heard that you're gearing up for the fourth annual ACVO Marial National Service Dog Eye Exam event. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? You bet. Uh, the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists and, and uh, ophthalmologists that are participating all across the country, for years we've been looking at service dogs and doing eye exams, uh, you know, gratis, uh, individually. And about four years ago we decided that as scientists we ought to start collecting this data. And so we have uh, decided that we will uh, yearly try to look at as many service dogs as we can to A, establish the good ocular health for those dogs because we don't want some service dogs out there that may have some eye problems. Definitely. Uh, you know, 
potentially putting their handlers at risk. Mm -hmm. And two, to collect data that we can use in the future uh, to help predict and prevent future eye problems depending on what area of the service dogs are, are, are working in. Well, and we kind of noticed this, we kind of noted this after 9-11 is that, uh, you know, there were some dogs that, that suffered some eye problems after going into into that disaster, mm -hmm. and yet we didn't know in their working environment, are there things we can do to prevent these eye problems in the future? Okay. Wow. Now, are there any local veterinarian ophthalmologists here in the Los Angeles area that are participating? You bet. There's a number in that area that are participating. Matter of fact, I think we have more participating ophthalmologists in the state of California than anywhere else. Oh, that's pretty good. How, yeah. how can somebody find out about this if they have a service dog? And is this just, when you refer to service dogs, are we talking about dogs in the uh, government sector that are search and rescue, that sort of thing? Or are we also talking about uh, guide dogs, um, dogs that help people with uh, physical and mental ailments? How, how does that work? Well, good question, Marie. And, and the, to, what, what to do is you go to our website that's been set up for this program. It's www.acvoiexam.org, all one word, of course. Okay. And not only uh, you can find out whether your service dog is it qualifies, and many service dogs do, both privately held dogs such as assistance dogs, guide dogs, but as well as government sector dogs, um, you know, search and rescue dogs, dogs that are uh, involved in bomb sniffing and, and uh, accelerant sniffing and different things like that. Okay. So there's a wide variety of dogs that qualify, and the reason we have a qualifying uh, statute in there is we want to have good data so that we can look at it in the future. Okay. Uh, and when you... When you sign up on the website beginning April 1st, you can click to make an appointment, and then you'll come up with a list of participating veterinary ophthalmologists in your area, and so you can find the nearest one to you. Oh, that's great. So it doesn't have to be a veterinarian that you normally take your dog to. You'd probably want to go to somebody who specializes in ophthalmology. Yeah, it has to be a veterinary ophthalmologist in order to, to clear the dog of eye problems. Okay. And uh, veterinary ophthalmologists are working hand-in-hand -hand with the primary veterinary care provider uh, to, to seek out these qualifying dogs. Okay. Well, that's outstanding. I think that's a great idea. But I know a lot of our listeners have dogs that are just companion animals and wonder from time to time about the vision and the vision health of their own dogs. What are the warning signs that a dog may be developing an eyesight problem? Well, that, that's a great question, and, and it varies depending on the eye condition and depending on the dog. Okay. Uh, you know, some dogs can go for relatively long periods of time with devastating vision loss, and you never know it because they adapt to their environment and they know very well. But the, the things you would, uh, you would think about that may indicate an eye problem is the dog squinting. Is he tearing? Does he have a discharge from the eye? You might notice the dog bumping into things, uh, the same, you know, dogs being less than interactive with the family members. These are the kind of things that, that you should bring attention to your primary care veterinarian, and then in consultation with your primary veterinarian, you may or may not need to seek the advice of a veterinary ophthalmologist. I see. I remember a long time ago, if a dog developed cataracts, 
the veterinarians would remove the cataract or the cataracts, and afterwards the dog still couldn't see. Ha- has there been advancement? Oh, this you was bet. 25 years ago. Oh, yes, you bet. 25 years ago, uh, cataract surgery in humans was about equally as successful as it was in veterinary medicine. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> But today, it's pretty much an outpatient procedure for both our veterinary patients and our human patients. Really? If we can get cataracts in the ideal stage to operate, I quote my patients a 95 to 98% chance of success. Oh, that's fantastic. And what is that ideal stage? Should you be checking carefully to see if there's any signs? And what are those signs? Well, you may see, again, vision loss. You may see bumping into things. You may see a discoloration of the pupil, uh, a white discoloration inside the eye. Uh, These are the things that, again, you you talk with your primary care veterinarian, and and then in consultation with them, you might want to seek out the advice of an ophthalmologist. Uh, Like many diseases, the earlier you catch it, often the better you you are at uh, treating it. Sometimes cataracts are not quite ready. It's kind of like Grandma going into her ophthalmologist, and, and they, she says that I've got a cataract, but he says it's not quite ripe. Ah, okay. And so uh, just like picking an apple, you want to pick it or remove the cataract at just the right time. Okay. Now, does a regular veterinarian, one who doesn't specialize in ophthalmology, is he or she capable of figuring out when is a good time to refer to an ophthalmologist, or should you... Like with people, should you visit an ophthalmologist maybe once a year just for well, a vision check? A lot of it depends on, on the uh, expertise of, of the primary care veterinarian. You know, there's so much out there that primary care veterinarians have to know. And unfortunately, in veterinary school, they may only get one to three weeks of ophthalmology training, okay. uh, you know, similar to our MD counterparts. So, you know, the best thing to do is if you have... Uh, concerns, express those to your primary care veterinarian, and, and, you know, a good primary care veterinarian is always willing to seek out uh, advice from a specialist. Okay, okay. Are there a lot of specialists sprinkled around most areas so that people do have access to them, or can people expect to drive quite a distance to find one? Uh, You know, it kind of depends on your area. There's uh, about 190 participating veterinary ophthalmologists across the country. Okay. Uh, some are going to be closer to you than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, again, you go to that acboiexam.org and you can find somebody as close to you as possible. So this is the fourth annual special service dog eye exam event that you guys are putting together. How successful was it last year and what do you expect for this year? Well, every year we've seen a greater number of service dogs as the program uh, has become more aware, and, and and really special thanks to people like you who are making their listeners aware of this program. Um, so last year I think we saw about 3,600 dogs yeah. off the country. That's great. Uh, some of the neat things that we've been able to do is, is identify problems before they cause vision loss in these dogs. That is so good. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to hear that. I know that these dogs mean so much, both for the handlers, the the police officers, the people who use them in airports and rescue, but also for people who have dogs that are personal service dogs to help them in day-to-day life. It is devastating when they lose the assistance and the companionship of this 
special dog in their life. So to have something like this addressed early, I, I just think it's wonderful, and I'm so happy that you guys are doing it. Well, you know, the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists couldn't do it again without people like you, without the primary care veterinarians, and and uh, through the assistance of Mariel Pharmaceuticals, which I, I might add, that's a veterinary uh, pharmaceutical company that has no ophthalmic products. They just do this because they have a great concern for service dogs. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea. I thought for sure that they were involved in ophthalmology in some way, but not a bit. Uh, not a bit. They they're a, they're they're a company that wants to give back to the to the public and and do what they can to you know help the country service dogs and you know these dogs do so much for all of us as you pointed out whether they're a, a, a personal dog that is providing assistance or you know keeping our country safe from terrorists. That is great to hear. Um, let's give out the website one more time just in case somebody didn't have a chance to grab a pen and a piece of paper so that they can find out about this special service dog vision eye exam event that's coming up. You bet. It's www.acvoiexam.org. That's all one word. All one word. Dr. Miller, this is such an important event, and I hope everyone who wants to get their service dog in for an exam has the opportunity to do it. So thanks for your time and all the energy you're giving to this project, and thanks for being on the Pet Place. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's time for our last break of the day, but when we come back, it'll be Pet Place News and Events, so stay tuned to the Pet Place Radio Show here on AM 1260. Are you ready to dash? Okay, I'll explain my pun. The Dog Agility Sport Handlers. Get it? D-A-S-H, dash? Okay, stop booing and hissing. Anyway, Dash is holding its 2011 trials April 9th and 10th at Northcutt School in my hometown, Fountain Valley. The address of the school is 11303 Sandstone Avenue in Fountain Valley, and the fun gets started at 11 a.m. For more information, visit southcoastagilityteam.com. If you've never seen a dog agility event, this will be a great opportunity to check out and see if you'd like to give it a go with your own dog. It's great fun. And don't forget, next week, we'll be on a little later, 9.30 a.m., so mark your calendars. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please stay or neuter your pets. And have a wonderful day.